afternoon, if you would, keep your Bibles opened up here to 2 Kings. <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter 17. We're going to be looking in this passage in just a moment. Um, but before we get started, again, I'd like to say how, how thankful I am to be here and how wonderful it is to be with each and every one of you. As was mentioned earlier, it, it certainly is a, a pick-me-up here and a great way to start off this week being with one another, serving our God and, and spending time together and worshiping and singing praises to His name. And, and, and what we're really doing is, is, is acting out our worship, acting out our worship here in, in, during services. And that's what I want to talk about this afternoon, is I want to look at the Samaritan's worship, or the Samaritan's religion, if you will. As, as uh, Joe just read here, um, in this first couple of verses, that we see that following the conquest of the nation of Assyria, most of the people of Israel had been deported uh, to Assyria. And in their place, Assyria had imported captives from other countries. This was really common for them to do. And, and one way that they kind of took control of the land is they would take strangers and put them into a land so that they really wouldn't know the layout of the land. They couldn't really fight back. They were, they were kind of uh, just, just in a new place, in a new surroundings. And so we see that they do this to the Israelites. And they take them out and, one of the, or they, and they bring those others to live in Samaria, which was one of the main provinces of Israel at this time. We see that in those first two verses there, chapter 24 and in, in chapter 25. But as we read through the rest of this text, as we're going to do in just a minute, we're going to see that the religion of those who were imported, it, it was described, and, and there are some very interesting characteristics that I think we, should, we can take from the description of their religion. Let's go ahead and read through verse 41. That is 2 Kings 17. We're going to start in verse 26 and read through verse 41. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and indeed they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Succoth, Benoth. The men of Cuth made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Ashima. And the Evites made Nibes and Tartak. And the Sepharvites burned their children in fire to Adramalek and Animalek, the gods of Sepharvim. So they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places, who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods, according to the rituals of the nations from, from among whom they were carried away. To this day they continued or continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or, or their ordinances or the law and the commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them, but to the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm. Him you shall fear. Him you shall worship, and to him you shall offer sacrifice. And the statutes, the ordinances, the law, and the commandments which I wrote, which he wrote for you, <coughs> excuse me, 
You shall be careful to observe forever. You shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I have made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children had continued doing as their fathers did, even to this day. Excuse me. As I said, when, when we read this description of their religion, there are some several characteristics that I think we can take, we can take note of. And we do well to, to notice these things. And I think it begins, it begins with, with keeping it fresh in our minds. Excuse me. We're keeping it fresh in our minds and asking ourselves, how might the Samaritan's religion compare to our service today? Do we resemble what they, what, what they showed to God? Do we have that same sort of mentality, that same sort of heart that they had? <coughs> Excuse me. In some cases, I'm afraid that the comparisons between the, the Samaritans of that day and Christians of this day, the, the, the comparisons may be way too close for comfort. So to begin, I think we do well to note that their religion was a religion of fear. <clears throat> a religion of fear. These are evident by the statements that are made. 2 Kings 17 and verse 32 says, So they feared the Lord. <clears throat> I apologize, I'm choking. <clears throat> uh, so it says they feared the Lord. And verse 33 goes on to say, They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods. Or in verse 41, So these nations fe- <coughs> feared the Lord, Yet serve their carved images. <clears throat> but what we see is they had the wrong, the wrong kind of fear. This is implied in verse 30, in verse thirty four when it comes out and says that it, that they do not fear the Lord. Now in so many places it says they feared the Lord. In verse thirty two, verse, verse thirty three, they feared the Lord and served their own gods. Verse forty one, these nations feared the Lord. But then in verse thirty four it says they did not fear. The Lord. It sounds like a contradiction. Kind of doesn't make sense, but it's not a contradiction. Because we remember that there is a proper, a proper fear of the Lord. Jesus taught about this with his apostles and his apostles also. If we want to hold our places here and flip over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 10 and look in verse 28. <clears throat> in Matthew 10 and verse 20, 20 says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Or Acts 10. We want to turn over to Acts chapter 10. And look in verse 34 through 35. Where we read, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Yet another place where proper fear is taught. Philippians 2, in verse 12, another place that tells us about this. says in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There certainly is a proper type of fear that we are to have. And it's not just in the New Testament we see this. Let's turn back to the Old Testament again. Let's look at the words of Solomon and what he taught. In Proverbs chapter 1, <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 1 and start reading in verse 7, 
We see the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So Solomon talks here about fear and how it is the knowledge of, uh, or the beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord. But he goes on in verse in chapter fourteen, chapter fourteen and verse twenty six through twenty seven. And says, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It turns one away from the snares of death. And then coming out of Proverbs and going over into Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, looking starting in verse 12. <clears throat> it says, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are... Excuse me. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and his days are prolonged, I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Or chapter 12, verse 13 through 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, according every secret thing, including every secret thing, good, whether good or evil. Excuse me. So we see in these two places, in all these different places, whether it be Jesus and the apostles speaking, whether it be Solomon speaking these things, that there there is a proper fear of the Lord. There is a proper fear. This fear of the Lord is the kind of fear, it's the kind of awesome reverence towards God that motivates us to turn away from evil. To turn away from evil and to serve God faithfully at all times. That's one of the the aspects of this fear. This is not the kind of fear that never thinks of God. Whenever things are going well, but then trembles when things aren't going so well. Or maybe at the idea of having to soon face Him, becomes very afraid. That's not the kind of fear that is described here. And so what we see in all this is that the Samaritans had the wrong kind of fear. Do you notice why they were so afraid? It was back in chapter 25. In 25, or excuse me, back in chapter 17, but in verse 25 and 26, said they would have never even thought of God had it not been for those lions that were killing them. God had sent these lions into the land. If it had not been for those lions, they wouldn't have even had any concept, any thoughts about God at all. So when they did think of Him, it was only to tremble before Him. That was the only reason that they thought of Him was because of the trouble they were in. This is like so many today. So many today who who maybe only think of God, who only show a fear of God when maybe they are ill. They forget Him whenever things get better, when they they are healed and they start to feel well. Or maybe when things are, 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 tragedies are coming into their place, or some sort of calamity that's going on. But when things are happy and their lives are full of joy, He is far from them. When they're faced with problems, that's when they think of God. That's when they fear God and when they need God the most. But whenever they're enjoying prosperity, when, when, when all their bills are paid and there's nothing that they seem to be worried about, then they're not worried about it no more. Then they don't worry of God anymore. The idea is that maybe the, the, the example I was thinking of was maybe a sailor out on the sea. When the water gets really rough and choppy and, and the boat is tossed to and fro, and the storm is, is, is prevailing against them and they pray fervently for God to deliver them. Or maybe another idea we think of is a soldier in combat. 
But any sort of circumstance that we can think of where things are not going in your favor, and that's when we, we really put all our attention and, our, and we pour our hearts out to God, that's when we need Him the most. But when things get better, what kind of life do we go back to? What kind of place do we put Him in? Do we just kind of set Him back in His jar and put Him up on the shelf, and we'll come back to it when we need it? That's the kind of religion that, that the Samaritans seem to have. And we need to make sure that's not the kind of religion that we have today. If we turn to God only when things are going wrong, our religion is no different than theirs. But with the proper kind of fear, with the proper kind of reverence to our Lord, we will draw close to God through obedience. And when we do so, we will find Him to be, to be gracious, and we will find Him to be loving, and we will find that serving Him, serving Him is not something that we do out of fear, but out of love for Him. 1 John chapter 4 1 John chapter 4 and verses 16 through 18 talks a little bit about this. He says in this chapter, he says, And we have known and believed the love that God the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So we will also notice in this though that the Samaritan's religion wasn't just a religion of fear. That was one part of it. But it was also a religion of form. Also a religion of form. Their hearts were not in their service to the Lord. This is evident by the fact that they continued after, after God came and after, after they learned the ways, the, the, the rituals of the God of that land as it describes it, that they continued in serving their carved images. They continued in serving their lowercase gods. They continued in some cases burning their children to their gods. The service that they rendered to the Lord possessed form, but it didn't possess any substance. And this, this, uh, this type of worship it's oftentimes common today, where there is form, but no substance. Now there's a need for form in religion. We, we understand that. There must be form possessing both a, a, maybe a physical and a spiritual nature. We need a physical way to express our spiritual devotion to the Lord. And so God has provided us that. He has given us physical ways to express our worship to Him. We see in the New Testament worship that even though it was even though it was spiritual, and it was more spiritual than what's really found in some cases in the Old Testament, He still gave us things like the Lord's Supper, a physical way to body embody that, singing, prayer, giving. All these things they are form. They give us a form for how we can worship our Lord. But to go through the form without the substance. That is to say, to, have the, the, to not have the right sort of spirit, the right sort of attitude. Maybe we might say that we go through our worship without the right sort of heart or the mindset. That is hypocritical. Look over in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15 and verses 7 through 8 says, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Can we be guilty today of such worship? Absolutely we can. 
Maybe we look at it and just are singing alone. Maybe as Christians get together and we sing songs like, Give me the Bible. And the words that are found in that song, we sing those songs to God. We sing them to one another to teach one another and admonish one another. But we never, ever take the time to even pick up the Lord's Word and read it for ourselves. Maybe that, that, that book is just on the way home. It stays in the car. It never gets out until we're on our way back. And we'll dig it back out as we come back into services. Then we are guilty of having form without substance. What about the song, I Want to Be a Worker? For the Lord. I want to be a worker for the Lord, but I'm not willing to go. I'm not willing to do anything that He has called me to do. Again, we have the right sort of form, but we don't have the right sort of heart to go along with it. Or maybe we sit back and we sing a song like Wonderful Story of Love. We think of the, the emotion that that song should bring to us. The amount of love that was shown for us. But we sit back and we sing that song with a, a bored expression on our face. We are just simply here mouthing words. We don't need to have a, a, a worship that is just form. We need to have a worship that is both form and substance. A worship like this will emulate the example of David. In Psalms 138 and verse 1. It says, I will praise you with my whole heart. I will praise you wholeheartedly. Psalms 146, verse 1 and 2. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Psalms 147, and verse 1. Praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. Is our religion, is our religion one of simply going through the motions? Are we kind of on autopilot? We just show up at the right time. We say the right things. I, I've joked around, I've joked around a lot about, about, about my generation. Something that I, that I was guilty of growing up. I, they give us all the different names. You know, you had the baby boomers and the, the X generation and the Y generation. I said, I think we should really be called like the Sega generation, the video game generation. Because growing up, my entertainment was watching a character on a screen do what I told it to do by manipulating it through the right button presses. If I could just get things right, if I could push the right buttons, it would do what I wanted it to do. And that's the same sort of attitude that many Christians today have with their religion. If I can just go through the right motions, if I can push the right buttons, say the right things, appear the right way, people will stay off my back, I will get what I want, and I will go through life without any problems. But that's not the right kind of, of attitude that we should have in our worship. It should not be simply just form. It should have substance as well. If not, our religion is no more pleasing to God than that of the religion of these Samaritans who, who after being saved from the lions, continued, continued to worship their gods. And a final point I want to make about, about their religion is it was a religion of compromise. It was a religion of compromise. When we see in the, the Samar with the Samaritans in verse 41, they had God and they had their gods. And we see that they liked the latter best. 
We see where their heart was truly devoted to. It was to their gods, their carved images. We saw that they, they gave God the lip service, but they gave their gods the true service. And such can happen today with Christians today. And we seek to serve God while also trying maybe to serve the world. But Jesus said it is absolutely impossible. In Matthew 6, verse 24, he said this is virtually impossible to do. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. When we try to serve both, the world will always win. The world will always take first place, just like these, these little gods did. Over, over the great God. It shows up in our jobs. It shows up in our recreation. It takes precedence over the service that we offer to our Lord. It shows up in how we seek to rationalize even the conduct that we have. We can see that no matter what we're doing, who it is we're truly serving is not our great Lord. We're serving ourselves. We're serving our wants, our desires. We're serving our lusts. And God cannot, God will not tolerate compromise. He requires total commitment to Him, no matter the price. If we turn back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and reading in verse 5, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then in verse 14 through 15, And you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. In the Old Testament, God did not accept compromise. Guess what? Our God has not changed. In Luke 14, in verse 26, we see still that he does not accept compromise. Luke 14, in verse 26, says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. In verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. It doesn't say that he... He who forsakes a little bit can't be my disciple. It doesn't say that he who does not forsake everything may be able to be my disciple. Those are strong words. He who does not forsake all that he has can not be my disciple. <clears throat> to compromise with the world is similar to committing adultery spiritually against the Lord. James chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we need to heed Jesus' admonition. The teaching that He showed us in Matthew 6 and verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not seek first the world and then find time to squeeze God into it. Seek God first. Put Him above the rest of the world. So I believe it is easy to see the error 
that the Samaritan religion had. They had a religion that was of fear, a religion that was of form, and a religion that was of compromise. But unless we are careful, our religion today can easily become just the same as theirs, a mirror image of it. But if we honestly look within ourselves, we must confess that our religion is closer to the Samaritans than it should be. Then let us listen to the challenge of Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. 1 Kings 18 and verse 21. Elijah gives the challenge. It says, and Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Will we listen to Elijah's challenge? Will we give up a religion of compromise? What about Paul? What about what Paul had to say? The challenge that he left us in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 28 through 29. When he said, for he, is not a, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Will we listen to Paul's challenge? Will we give up a religion of form and have true substance with our worship? Or what about John in 1 John chapter 3? 1 John chapter 3 and verses 18 through 19. He says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and, he sh- and, and shall assure our hearts before him. John challenges us to give up a religion of fear and devote ourselves to a religion of love. Love for the Lord, love for doing his will. This afternoon I would ask us, each one of us to consider what our situation is with our religion. What's our situation with the type of religion that we give to our Lord? Maybe it is that we have been guilty of giving this religion to the Lord that is similar, that is reflectant of the Samaritan's religion. That ought not be the case. We should give God more than just our second best. Maybe this afternoon you've not... You, you, you have not yet truly accepted the Lord's invitation. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 reminds us, says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, gently and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is the invitation that he gives to those who are who are not yet members of His body, who have not yet obeyed Him to receive forgiveness of their sins. But that is also the invitation that He gives to us who are members of His body. Well, maybe we realize we are guilty of having a religion that is not what it ought to be. That invitation is still there for us, that, that, that those who labor and are heavy laden, He can give us rest. 
this, this afternoon, if you need the rest that the Lord offers, I hope that you will not wait. Whether it's you need that, that you need to be baptized and have forgiveness of your sins, or whether you have already done so, but you simply need to make things right with God. You need to give Him the kind of religion that He deserves. You need to live the kind of life that He has asked you to live. I would encourage you, don't wait. Don't wait. Come forward now as we stand and sing.